Welcome to another episode of City Daily, a Lent podcast. Now that we are a little over a week into this season of Lent, I'd like to slow down and take a moment to focus in on the wonder of God's grace. Lent is a time where we practice the art of discipline. This often means sacrificing something that we desire to make room for the pursuit of Christ in our lives. If you're anything like me, you're definitely feeling the fight between your spirit and your flesh right now. The newness of the fast has likely worn off and you're truly at war with the habits and patterns you've developed over the past year, learning to lay them down daily and being confronted with the sinful nature of your worldly desires. Can we all just take a moment and appreciate what a monumentally powerful step this is in our spiritual growth? The pursuit of discipline is not for those who are seeking an easy way out, that's for sure. But what I have noticed is the enemy tends to whisper stronger in these trying moments, and he often turns our hearts and our thoughts towards ourselves and our performance instead of Christ and the implications of his journey to the cross. We might be struggling with feelings of inadequacy, shame, or even imposter syndrome as we battle through the denial of our flesh. Not surprisingly, these are the times when we might start to mess up or waver a bit in our commitment to our Lenten fast. Questions start to slowly sneak in and all of a sudden we find ourselves questioning the process. Am I doing enough? Am I being too legalistic with this fast? Am I focusing too much on what I'm giving up and not enough on God? Have I messed it up already? It's times like these where an analogy from one of my favorite books comes to mind. I came to Christ at the age of 25 through a deeply experiential encounter with the Lord. And as an adult, trying to explain to my agnostic friends what the heck happened to me on that day, I quickly realized that my knowledge of the Bible and my overall theology had a lot of catching up to do with my heart. I found the Bible difficult to read in the beginning, and let's be honest, I sometimes struggle even now, so I sought out other Christian resources to begin to develop my faith. I remember I was at a used bookstore here in Tulsa and ran across the book Transforming Grace by Jerry Bridges. Now, if you could see this in my hand right now, you'd immediately notice that the cover is dated, plastered with bright red and yellow and purples. It's all marked up inside. And honestly, with a cover like this, I'm not exactly sure what possessed me to buy it, but I am so glad that I did. It helped me through an arduous season of in-depth personal reflection, not so different from the journey we are on together for these next 30 or so days. As I read the following passage, I want you to remember that it is a gift that you are experiencing the depths of your sinful nature in the light of the cross during this season of Lent. When examining your brokenness, you should experience conviction, but not condemnation. You might even experience deep sorrow, but it should not be self-hatred. Maybe brokenness, but not hopelessness. Notice how similar these emotions are, but one is from your enemy and the other is from your Redeemer. Make sure you are checking in on your spirit throughout this journey and hearing the voice that encourages you with love and gentleness. This particular reading will start about halfway down on page 26 in chapter 2 of Transforming Grace, titled, Grace, Who Needs It? I once heard a definition of grace as God's making up the difference between the requirements of His righteous law and what we lack in meeting those requirements. No one is good enough to earn salvation by himself, this definition said, so God's grace simply makes up for what we lack. Some receive more grace than others, but we all receive whatever we need to obtain salvation, 
No one ever need be lost because whatever grace he needs is his for the taking. This definition of grace sounds very generous of God, doesn't it? Making up whatever we lack. The problem with this definition, though, is that it isn't true. It represents a grave misunderstanding of the grace of God and a very inadequate view of our plight as sinners before a holy God. We need to be sure we have a biblical view of grace, for grace is at the very heart of the gospel. It is certainly not necessary for someone to understand all the theology of grace to be saved, but if a person does have a false notion of grace, it probably means he or she does not really understand the gospel. God says to us, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Isaiah 55.1 The gospel is addressed to those who have no money or good works. It invites us to come and buy salvation without money and without cost. But note the invitation to come is addressed to those who have no money, not to those who don't have enough. Grace is not a matter of God's making up the difference, but of God providing all of the costs of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul spoke to this issue in Romans 3.22 when he said, There is no difference. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, between the religious and the irreligious, between the most decent moral person and the most degenerate. There is no difference between us, because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. To say the grace of God makes up the difference of what God requires of us is like comparing two people's attempts to leap across the Grand Canyon. The canyon averages about nine miles in width from rim to rim. Suppose one person could leap out about 30 feet from the edge while another can leap only six feet. What difference does it make? Sure, one person can leap five times as far as the other, but relative to the nine miles, which is 47,520 feet, it makes no difference difference. Both leaps are absolutely worthless for crossing the canyon. And when God built a bridge across the Grand Canyon of our sin, He didn't stop 30 feet or even 6 feet from our side. He built the bridge all the way. Even the comparison of trying to leap across the Grand Canyon fails to adequately represent our desperate condition. To use that illustration, we have to assume that people are trying to leap across the canyon. That is, that most people are actually trying to earn their way to heaven and despite earnest effort, are falling short of bridging the awful chasm of sin separating them from God. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Almost no one tries to earn his way to heaven, Martin Luther prior to his conversion being a notable exception. Rather, almost everyone assumes that what he or she is already doing is sufficient to merit heaven. Almost no one is making a sincere effort to increase the length of his leap across the canyon. Instead, in our minds, we have narrowed the width of the canyon to what we can comfortably cross without any additional effort beyond what we are already doing. The person whose moral lifestyle might be equivalent to 30 feet sees the distance as narrowed to a comfortable 29 feet, and the person who can leap only 6 feet has narrowed his canyon to 5. I just love this whole book. It was hard to pick out specific passages, but... I feel like this analogy of the Grand Canyon is so powerful and so simple. We tend to focus all of our time measuring the distance between our leap and our neighbor's leap or our pastor's leap, all the while missing the bridge to which we have full access if we would just trust that first step. 
I personally believe the true measure of spiritual maturity isn't about how well-behaved we are, but how quickly we are able to accept God's grace after our missteps. I want to remind you in this time that your God is a good and loving God. During your fast, He is not disappointed that you watch TV when you said you'd pray, or that you had carrot cake instead of grilled carrots, or even that you needed that extra hour of sleep this morning when you were supposed to be reading your Bible. He just misses you, the imperfect, fallible, raw bundle of emotion that is you as you currently are. So I ask you, is there anything you need to ask him for grace for today? I'm going to ask you to take a moment, wherever you are, and close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths and quiet your mind of all the chaos of your day. Now I want you to picture your Heavenly Father. Gaze focused intently on you. He is crouched down to your level, arms flung wide open, with a huge, joyful smile on his face, so excited to see you and hear all about your week. Talk about whatever you would like to talk about. Your successes, your moments of weakness, every detail that you're willing to share with him. This is the God spoken of in Zephaniah 3.17, who takes great delight in you, who renews you by his love, and who shouts for joy over you. Today, as you stand at the edge of your Grand Canyon, I pray that you have the bravery to stop frantically leaping into the chasm and instead take in the peaceful view on that miraculous 47,520-foot bridge. <laughs>